You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. What's happening this morning at the Gate is we're jumping in and continuing with the series of messages that we've planned out for the Advent season. As we anticipate the celebration of Christmas, there's many ways to uh, prepare our hearts to focus on Christ, and so hopefully this morning that's uh, what we'll be doing. We've uh, titled the series, Prepare Him Room. And so that's the point each week, is asking the Lord, well, in what ways can I prepare you room, God, uh, in this Advent season and at Christmas time? How can I make more room for you in my life, in my heart? Uh, in my work, and the things I do, and so on. Uh, The subtitle, though, is Stories of Response to the Birth of Christ. Stories of Response to the Birth of Christ. So what that means is our scripture passages are are stories. Um, So this morning I'm going to be reading a, a bit of a longer chunk, and the reason for that is so that we hear the story, right? It's hard to hear a story in just one or two verses, um, so we're going to be reading from or Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 2. If not, that's just fine because we'll have it on the PowerPoint behind us. And, and uh, as we read, it's a bit longer and we're going to hear a story. We'll hear a narrative develop. There's, there's plot and, and problems and things that happen and resolve. And then after I've read the story, we'll, we'll kind of uh, jump back to a couple key points, and, and like I said, we'll be asking the Lord uh, what he would be teaching us in this story this morning about how we can prepare him room. Matthew chapter 2, I'm starting at verse 1, going to uh, verse 18. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. That's from the prophet Micah. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, Bring me word that I may too come and worship him. Insert sinister laughter here. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. 
Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he had seen that he was tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet in Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Let's pray. Lord, I ask uh, that you would show us the ways in which we can and should indeed be preparing our hearts, Lord, to make more room for your presence in us. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would have your way uh, in us now and, and through me as I speak. And in our listening, and God, we do all of this for your glory. Amen. <clears throat> so Matthew's account in chapter 2 provides for us uh, a stark contrast, right? A binary, if you will, where there's two parties. There's the good guys who are called the wise men. Uh, we call them the wise men or the magi. And then there's the king, King Herod. Um, King Herod is, is the archetype of the, the ultra-powerful, super-evil political villain, right? He's obviously the bad guy. Uh, Caesar famously said that it was better to be one of Herod's swine than it was to be one of his sons. This is because Herod, uh, being Jewish, would not eat pork. However, he did have a bad habit of killing everyone in his family. He was a terrible person. He was a raging lunatic. He was actually crazy. Uh, he was bloodthirsty, violent, insecure, all-around bad dude. So when we hear stories like this, um, we're trained to think of the good guys and the bad guys and, and keep it that way. And then uh, obviously we root for the good guys and hope they win and then carry on. That's kind of a normal narrative structure in books and movies and stuff like that. But this morning I want to stop before we do that and look at it perhaps in a more complex way where we consider Herod and uh, who he is, what he's doing. Um, maybe don't just cast him as the bad guy, but look quite closely at the story of Herod's response to the birth of Jesus. And as we do this, I'm going to be suggesting uh, that perhaps we can learn from Herod. In spite of him being the bad guy and, and truly evil, um, that Herod was, like all of us, just a human being who had his own uh, response to the birth of Christ. And, and as we look at him, we'll be learning, hopefully learning from him, how not to respond, and we'll consider the wise men as the better alternative. Um, as I said, Herod is an insecure person. If, if he was threatened by anyone, <clears throat> he would kill them. 
Um, so you can see immediately how this anxiety arises in him when um, some fancy men from out of town come in and they start asking for the king, the king of the Jews, actually. And in Herod's world, that's him, right? That's his job. That's his position, even his right in his own mind. Herod was the king of the Jews. He was appointed by the Roman government to act and rule as their king. And so in come these, these foreign men asking for the king of the Jews. And, and everyone would say, well, it's, it's Herod. He's in his palace here. And they're saying, no, no, that's not who we're looking for. Um, this would be strange and extremely disturbing for Herod. You can imagine this if, let's say that you were at your house and um, you own the place where you live and the doorbell rings. So you go to the door and open it and you find a salesperson there at the door, maybe from TELUS or something. And as they often do, this person says, hi, may I please speak with the homeowner? And to that I say, you're looking at him. What can I do for you? And then they're like, um, uh, what's your name? Mr. Stretch. I'm like, Mr. Stretch. Um, that's not who we're looking for. Is there, I want to, I want to speak to the homeowner, please. I'm like, what's the problem? I, that, you know, you're talking to him. And, um, this, if you multiply this by a million, that's sort of the problem that, that Herod, that's happening with Herod as these wise men come and say, can we talk to the king? Herod is insecure, and so the, the Magi's questions play into this. But um, like I said, I want to consider Herod and maybe why he's doing what he does and, and how perhaps we're tempted to respond in a similar way to Herod's response at the news of Jesus Christ. And this is because Herod has the strong desire to maintain what he has, right? To, to, uh, to have control and to keep his wealth, his power, and all his kingdom. He wants to be the ruler. He wants to be autonomous. He wants to stay king. And we're not that different from Herod, I think, if we're honest with ourselves. We like to have control as well, right? We like to be able to decide and choose for ourselves our course of actions, we like to hang on to the things which we feel are rightfully ours. And when we feel challenged in these ways, um, we often respond negatively. So back to Herod and, and the wise men, there's this, apparently there's a new king that's come. There's a new king that's come, and it's not Herod, a different king, with a different kingdom. And so this challenges Herod, and I believe it challenges us, that if we read the Bible and we hear who Jesus is and we believe what he says, who he is, and so on, and if we're honest with ourselves, then we have to be confronted with the same kind of question that caused Herod to go berserk, right? Am I still king of my kingdom? Do I still have power and and control over my life? Do I call the shots? Or do I surrender to this uh, baby named Jesus? And this is uncomfortable for us 
It's not a nice thing for me to imply about us, but I do believe it's realistic and true. We don't want to identify with Herod because he's the bad guy. But as I prayed about it and read about it, I was convinced that we have this tendency within us, um, hopefully not to behave the way that Herod behaved, but uh, perhaps to respond to the news of Jesus with uh, the desire to maintain our own kingdom instead of laying it down before Jesus. <clears throat> I'm, I'm afraid to say that I'm, uh, I can identify with Herod in a unique sense. Uh, who here has ever participated in a Christmas pageant? Many of us have. I've, I've done my fair share. <clears throat> I've been shepherds. I've probably been Joseph. I've probably been sheep or the star or something. I don't remember, but I know I did lots of pageants. Um, but I emailed a photo to Connor to display this morning of me um, playing the part of King Herod. <laughs> And I had forgotten about this, but I was thinking so much about Herod, I was like, wait a second, I think there's a picture of me from like 2002. So at the Red Deer Alliance Church uh, Christmas pageant in 2002, someone had the audacity to cast me as uh, King Herod, and I was naive enough to accept the role um, of this terrible man. Now, they don't include the violent parts in Christmas pageants, um, for obvious reasons. So I think it was fine. All I remember doing for the whole thing was, I think they gave me a throne and I just sat there like looking angry. I didn't, don't know if I had any lines. Anyways, uh, King Blarid, that's me. So young, so innocent. And I probably had no idea about the, you know, the horrific truth of who Herod actually was. Um, C'est la vie. <laughs> Has anyone else been Herod? <laughs> Brian, you're Herod? Nice. One person. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird that they would do that to us as kids. But, um, but like I said, we simplify the story into good guys and bad guys, and we kind of take away the really ugly bits, and that's, that's okay, I suppose. Um, but we, we don't want to identify with Herod. We don't want to think that his response applies to us, especially as Christians. Many of us have obviously heard the news of Jesus and not went, you know, we didn't go bonkers and, and do anything like that, but we've received it, right? And we're saved by him. And we've, we've walked into his grace and the freedom that he's given us and all these things. Praise God. So what do we do with, with the implication, I suppose, that, that we could still have anything to do with someone like Herod? In this case, I think the discussion is, like I said, not about salvation, the first time you hear the good news. But it's about continuing to respond to Jesus as king. Right? It's about the submission uh, to Jesus in all areas of our life to be able to pray as we learned just last month with Jesus, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not mine, yours. Yeah. 
all I need to do, <clears throat> all I need to do to kind of test myself and see if this is an area that, or a thing that I can indeed work on is think critically about um, my priorities, right? How do we spend our time or resources or whatever? And, and when we think about this, certainly there's ways, there's parts of me and, and my life that I have evidently not surrendered to King Jesus and that I need to continue to allow him to change me and, and, and work out in me as I follow him. Um, as Pastor Greg shared with us last week in the first message of Advent, uh, we are to prepare for Jesus all of the room. All of the room, right? So this is a thing which we continue to do. Um, we can think about what this looks like in some basic ways. For example, uh, the greatest commandment in Scripture, which is to uh, love the Lord your God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. This is from the Old Testament, and Jesus affirms it in Matthew 12. There's a reason that God gave these words to his people as commandments. As commandments. Because both of these things, if we're going to do them, we have to get over the natural tendency to be uh, self-centered, right? Um, to not love the Lord and to not love my neighbor. If we already had this stuff in the bag, then God wouldn't have given them to us as commandments. He would have, it would be checked off and he would give us something else to do. But no, these are, these are the two most basic commandments for Christians and things which require us to address our, our selfish nature if we're going to do them. Uh, Paul speaks to this uh, many times. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, he says, For the mind, is set, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So back to Herod, he had his mind set on the flesh, so to speak. Right? His kingdom was his world. And Jesus came in, and, and he... He wasn't even, you know, formally addressed as a king yet, except from these wise men. They were suggesting that there was someone born as king. And it drove Herod crazy. He could not submit to the idea of another king. So what about the wise men or the good guys, right? They're, they're the people who... Um, hopefully, when we hear the news of Jesus, we can look to their response and see a better way, uh, far better, in fact, than Herod's, and, and we can uh, follow them in this. I've been enjoying <clears throat> verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10, where they find the location of Jesus, the star rests on where he is, and how do they respond to this happening? Matthew says, they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. It's so exciting that Matthew repeats himself. He literally says the same thing twice. They rejoice exceedingly with great joy. They've found the one who they've been seeking for. 
So they rejoiced. Uh, they worshipped him, right? Unlike Herod, they, they were humble. And it's interesting, too, because the wise men, they had apparently uh, some kind of power. They had wealth of some sort and influence and position in society. And yet they were so completely different from Herod because they recognized somehow they didn't even have the full picture of who Jesus was yet, but still God had shown them that he was the Messiah and they came to him. They worshipped him and they gave him their best with the gold, frankincense and myrrh and so on. Um, Greg and I were chuckling this week at this picture, I suppose, because um, it would be a couple of years after Jesus' birth when the wise men finally arrive and find Jesus, and, and they bowed down before a toddler and worshipped him. Picture that. I think we can learn from this. The truth is that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, deserves any and every means that we can bring and lay at his feet as worship. Like I said, the wise men brought their best, um, truly decadent things, again, for a toddler. They laid it before him. What can we bring in our worship of Jesus? What can we lay down at the feet of this baby in worship? What does this look like for you and I? Um, how is God calling you specifically with the things that you've been given? Like I said, the wise men, they had, um, you know, these, uh, they had power and wealth and influence and, and the ability and means to travel and find Jesus and all this stuff. And so they, they obeyed God. God led them to that place to do that. Um, where is God leading us to, to worship him with what he's given us, uh, with with our our lives. This is something for us to continue to pray about and 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 how we can uh each day, like I said, surrender, right? Surrender these things to God and and continue to uh place him on the throne, so to speak, of our lives instead of ourselves. As I said or mentioned, I think, at the beginning, Herod was called the king of the Jews. Um, the king of the Jews and the friend of the Romans. Um, he ruled the Jews, and he did it in very violent ways. But there's a, a meaningful uh, connection between this title for Herod and for Jesus the king. This was because as they crucified Jesus for his claims as Messiah, what did they write on the cross? John 19, 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. So once again, Herod was crazy and, and evil, but 
his insecurity about Jesus was not completely unfounded because it's true. Jesus came to usurp him and to bring in the kingdom of heaven as the true king of the Jews. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, I encourage us to uh, look to the cross. We'll be taking communion in a couple of minutes. Um, and to recognize that Jesus uh, is the king of the Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles, as we heard from Scripture. Um, it's interesting as well that the wise men who would come to worship Jesus, they, they were not Jewish. We can assume they were Gentiles, and this is a foreshadowing, right, of, of all people coming to Jesus, Jew and Gentile alike. But I encourage us to look to the cross and to remember um, that they put that on it, on the cross of Christ. Uh, this is the king of the Jews. And uh, the religious leaders told Pilate, well, you should, you should actually write the one who says he's the king of the Jews. And Pilate says, I've written what I've written, and it's fitting. And as we see Jesus on the cross, we remember that Jesus the king is a king completely unlike any other king. We read about this in Isaiah 9, and I wanted to read it again. King Jesus, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the opposite of Herod. He's the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the king that we find in Jesus, born in a manger, nailed to the cross. He came at Christmas time so that we could be brought back into the presence of God, cleansed of sin, saved of grace, full of his love. And unlike any worldly king, Jesus' humiliation on the cross results in everlasting glory for you and I, the crown of life given to us through Jesus' suffering. To close, I wanted to read about uh, from both Paul and James testifying to this. Uh, in First Peter, we hear First Peter five four, we hear. That when the, sh the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then in James, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fail and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Uh, God, as we're gathered here, um, it is amazing to see the story of Jesus from uh, the manger all the way to the cross. God, to think of uh, the wise men coming in and, and inquiring about this new king, the king of the Jews, 
all the way to the cross where they crucified your son, the king of the Jews, the true king. God, as we think of um, the response of two very different sets of people, with Herod and the wise man, God, I pray that our hearts would be uh, soft and and honest with ourselves and with you, God, as we pray, and that we would allow you to to be showing us uh, perhaps the parts of ourselves that we have indeed attempted to push you away, Lord, to to not have room for you to come in and and change us and make us new into the people you want us to be. God, forgive us for doing this. And Lord, um, may you just come in and, and teach us, God. And we know that your ways are good. And so I thank you that um, you are more than able to do this for each of us, Lord. Many of us, um, like Scripture says, in the flesh, God, we're, we're incapable. We can't make this happen for ourselves. And so for all of us, Lord, I thank you that you empower us and enable us to uh, to be the people you've called us to be, to receive ha- and have new life, and to celebrate with, with joy, God, with exceeding joy at the birth of Jesus and receive him um, like the wise men did, Lord, with worship, with adoration and humility and, and just to, to bring you everything, Lord, and lay it at your feet. For you are truly worthy, Jesus. I thank you for all of this and all that it means. And, and I look forward to um, just learning more, God, in this Advent season of, of the real events of Christmas, God, and, and everything that changed and how we are so truly blessed because of it, God. So I thank you once again. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.